now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good morning. Welcome to the programme. On the show today, we'll be finding out about plans to close the legal loophole that lets Scottish drivers rip up fines from private parking companies. I think it will provide a much better and fairer balance to the law in Scotland and also give it clarity. That's the Tory MSP, Murdo Fraser, who thinks it's a good idea to make the law the same on both sides of the border. But we'll also hear from a lawyer who thinks you will still be able to beat the system. After 11 o'clock, a government minister gets savaged on their record on controlling Scotland's dogs. It seems to me this just reeks of a lack of leadership and total complacency. Natalie Crawford will be joining me with an update on our Lead the Way campaign. And should young Scots get the same deal as pensioners on bus passes? We want to give them the opportunity to get to work, to get to education by extending free bus travel to those under the age of 25. And that will help save many of our bus routes that are currently being axed. And I'll also be asking, do we in the UK deserve a better standard of politician? If you'd like to join the debate, the phone lines are open now. 033 401 Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Would you be in favour of changing the rules around private parking in Scotland? The government's confirmed it's looking at closing the loophole that allows drivers to get away without paying their fines when they get a ticket. It's called keeper liability. And it means that the person who owns the car could end up being chased for the money if they don't reveal who was behind the wheel. That's the way the system works in England. Tory MSP for Mid-Scotland and Fife, Murdo Fraser, thinks it's a good idea. And he's been talking to our reporter, Karen Clark, for Scotland's Talking. I think this is an important part of a broader package of reform to bring greater fairness to the whole question of private car parking. I've had hundreds of uh, letters of complaint from constituents about particular car parks in Perth, and I know this is an issue in other parts of the country too. And this is where people have been unfairly hit by uh, penalty charge notices for very minor infringements. And what this current uh, proposal will do is is bring the law uh, in Scotland into line with the law in England. It will be coupled with a new code of practice for car park operators and the introduction of an independent appeal system in Scotland. And I think it will provide a much better and fairer balance to the law in Scotland and also give it clarity because at the moment there is simply too much confusion about the way the law operates. And a lot of road users, a lot of drivers will see this as maybe as kind of hitting their pockets. Do you see it like that? I think this has got to be seen as part of a a broader package of reform that is bringing clarity and fairness for both sides. So while this measure could be seen as uh, being uh, advantageous to to car park owners, um, there are a lot of other measures being brought in at the same time that will provide a, a much better degree of fairness for those parking their cars, including bringing in for the first time in Scotland an independent appeal system. And there are, of course, people who provide car parking who, who do need this protection. So if, if you're a business and you've got allocated parking spaces for your staff or your customers, um, or you're living in, a, in a, a block of flats and you've got allocated car parking, at the moment it's very hard to protect that car parking from people who just want to park there with absolutely no right to do so. And what this change in the law will do is provide better protection for people in those circumstances. And this idea of not having to pay these fines at the moment is something that 
probably divides a lot of people. Some people know about it and some people might not even know about it. Do you think this could maybe create a, a little less confusion for drivers? I, th- I think the great advantage of all, all these reforms is we're providing some clarity to the law. At the moment in Scotland, only something like 20 to 25% of these penalty charge notices are actually paid, and a lot of them get written off. And that's not really fair to the people who pay them, the small minority who pay them. Um, uh, if a majority of people are just managing to evade these charges entirely, and I think the package of reform that includes this introduction of keeper liability will provide a much fairer system for everybody. Tory MSP for Mid-Scotland and Fife, Murdo Fraser. Uh, he was talking there to our reporter, Callum Clark. Uh, joining us now is Dave Smith. Dave is Head of Public Affairs at the British Parking Association. Dave, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Um, what's your take on this then? Do you think it should be the same across the whole of the UK? Or how do you see it take, taking up? Is it something you get lots of complaints about? Well... We wholeheartedly agree with everything that Murdo Fraser has said there, really. And uh, I should just point out, as the British Parking Association, we do represent members in Scotland, so local authorities in Scotland and parking operators who manage parking in Scotland. So we've been campaigning for this for uh, for well over 10 years, and uh, we we lobbied government to introduce keeper liability um, in England and Wales. And and we would have liked to have seen it in Scotland, but it wasn't the right time. Uh, Now we're very pleased that they are looking at that um, and, and as Murdo Fraser said, it's all about consistency of the rules for drivers. So wherever they park, the rules are the same and they understand what the conditions are and why they need to park there. And if they need to pay, all of these things will be brought into line. And I think that's going to be better for drivers and certainly for landowners as well. The people that are you know, allowing people to come onto their land and park for the retailers, for you know, people in their homes as well. It's going to help the management of private parking uh, to a greater extent. Are the motorists who get caught and disagree um, with uh, tickets that have been issued, Dave, are they still going to have that um, appeal process? Will they still, you know, will that still be there for them? Well, at the moment, they can they can all appeal to the parking operator, so the one who's issued the ticket in the first place. They they should always appeal to them in the first instance. If the operator rejects their appeal. Uh, based on the evidence that's provided. And um, there is an independent appeals service in England and Wales, uh, and that's called POPPA for BPA members. And we're really pleased that we're going to be introducing that in Scotland uh, from the 1st of May. Um, What that will allow uh, motorists to do uh, in, in, in this instance, it would be the driver who can appeal. So until we see keeper liability, it will only be the driver who can appeal. But it does give them another means of recourse uh, beyond the um, the appeal to the operator. Because mm. my personal um, uh, circumstances, I've been, obviously, I, you know, if you're a motorist, you do at times get caught. But I find, uh, and I was just talking to someone else uh, yesterday when we were talking about this coming up and saying they were going through this as well, that the 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 parking companies when they issue these tickets um when they're not part of uh the council or, or or local authority they don't really listen when you appeal you just get a note back saying they've looked at it and they disagree and 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 on they go but they don't actually and i've found this two or three times i don't think they even read the letter with the conditions in it you know don't if you put something down as a motorist saying 
Here's where I'm saying you got this wrong. Um, I did put my registration in. I don't care what your camera says. I put my registration in. Um, or uh, I put my money in there. I've got the, you know, I know I know, I did. But you always get the letter back saying they're dismissing this. They don't seem to, to listen at all. Well, I think, I think the fact that we've introduced an independent appeals body now, which will look you know, impartially at the evidence provided by the driver and also by the operator, and, and bear in mind that if it does go to that stage and the operator does have to pay for that, that is how the system is funded. So you know, it's in their interest to get the decision right in the first place. Um, so I think it's, it's fairer now that we've got this two-tier system, and it will be certainly fairer for, for motorists in Scotland once we introduce Poplar there. So I think uh, you know, that, that can instill some confidence in drivers that if they have got sufficient evidence uh, when they parked to present to the operator and then to an appeals body. It's free for them to appeal, by the way. You know, they don't right. have to pay anything. Okay. So I think, you know, th- this is all about joining everything up. So, as I said, consistency, fairness, transparency as well. Um, so we're really pleased that we can introduce Poplar to Scotland. And on, on the back of that, we really hope that Keep Our Liability comes in as well shortly after. John Wilkie is head of legal at Private Parking Appeals, which is based in Glasgow. He joins us now. John, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. So um, do you agree that this is a step in the right direction, as Dave Smith has been saying there? Well, yes and no. There's two difficulties here. And the first is it's great that Poplar's being introduced north of the border because Poplar is probably the fairer of the two systems. I don't say it's entirely fair, but it's as good as we've got at the moment. Uh, and in the, for the most part, Poplar is a fair and transparent system that's separate from the parking companies. The difficulty is that until keeper liability is introduced, you're still expected to appeal as the driver. And the first thing you're doing by appealing as the driver is closing the little loophole that means that if the parking company doesn't know who the driver is in Scotland, they can't pursue the charge. So that's the first difficulty there. But the second difficulty is this. We've had keeper liability on the English side of the border since October 2012, It's now five years down the road, and there is only one parking company of over 130 that have actually consistently got it right. In fact, parking companies, including BPA members, are actually starting to come to my firm to say, look, you're beating us on keeper liability in court again and again and again. How can we fix our tickets to make sure they actually comply with the requirements of law? So from that point of view, keeper liability being introduced is great as long as the parking companies can actually abide by it. If they can't abide by it, then the best answer is still ignore the ticket as driver, challenge the ticket as keeper, and make them prove keeper liability has been complied with. Right, so let me just get this uh, clear in my head as well as, as for our listeners, John, where you can prove or you can say you weren't the driver. Um, that, is, that, is the light, that is the loophole at the moment. Is that, that what you're saying? That is, that's the lacuna in Scottish law at the moment, yes. It's not a loophole. It's the law as it stands, and it's the law as the Scottish government up until now have wanted it because they could have had keep a liability introduced with the Protection of Freedoms Act when that was introduced in England and Wales as well. They could have chosen to have that adopted in Scotland. So the situation in Scotland is how the Scottish government currently wants it. The fact that uh, Murdo Fraser is trying to change this is probably a good thing. But the point is, this is how Scotland wanted it, because, of course, Scotland was well ahead of the, claim, uh, well ahead of the game when they banned clamping years ago, mm-hmm. whereas in England and Wales it was keeper liability that allowed clamping to be banned. Right, let's, let's go back to, to Dave Smith for his reaction on what you've been saying there, John. Dave? Yeah, well, I mean, 
driver liability, the driver is always going to be liable on private land because, you know, that's how the contract is formed. The driver reads the terms and conditions on the sign. They make the, uh, the, the agreement with the contract. So the so keeper liability won't change that sort of principle. What it does allow is for the landowner and their agent, i.e. the operator, to pursue the keeper if they don't know who the driver was. So it allows them to recover their losses in terms of parking charges, um, and it allows them to manage the land better because the landowner only wants those people that have a right, that have permission to park on that piece of land. If people are abusing the system, then people are going to find it very difficult to find spaces because there's going to be cars parked there that shouldn't be there. You know, they're ignoring the terms and conditions. So, you know, coming back to Murdo's point about the um, new Parking Code of Practice Act, this is going to be um, tidying everything up, making it consistent for the whole of England, um, Scotland, Wales included, and, and really, it's going to be much clearer for the motorist about what the rules are. And it's going to be independently audited as well. So the BPA have made great strides to put a, in place a code of practice, an independent appeal service. We've been raising standards for you know over 15 years. And we're absolutely delighted now that government is, is recognising that they're going to do that. It's going to be independent. And that will be better, I think, in the eyes of the uh, consumer. So if it all goes through, John, do you agree with Dave it's going to be better? It's going to be better to an extent, but what's going to help here is not bringing in keeper liability. What's going to help here is standardising the parking uh, code of practice under the new uh, 2019 Act that's just come out, simply because what we have at the moment is a confusing system of two ATAs, the BPA, who are a registered charity, versus the IPC, who are a profit-making company. I I apologise, not a registered charity, but a company limited by guarantee with charitable aims. Um, the IPC, who are a profit-making company, the BPA have their uh, arm's-length appeals process, Poplar, which is run by ombudsman services, uh, a, a respected ombudsman throughout the country. The IPC have their so-called independent uh, appeals service, which is operated, and it's clearly stated on their website, by the IPC. So the clarity that's going to come is from having one fair uh, centralized code of practice, not from keeper liability. But even so, keeper liability is going to assist uh, both sides. It's going to assist the motorist and the keeper because they're going to understand what their liability is. But it's also going to assist the parking companies. Although I have to say that Carmageddon, the idea that you won't be able to find spaces because the cars will be parked there that shouldn't be, is something that, with respect to Dave and the BPA, has been said for years. And despite the fact that Scotland hasn't had keeper liability for the last six years, there's been no Carmageddon in Scotland. Despite the fact that Northern Ireland has never had keeper liability, there's been no Carmageddon in Northern Ireland. And even with the Beavis case, which is the the leading case on parking in England and Wales, that wasn't saying that there was going to be Carmageddon. That was merely saying that there is a legitimate interest in uh, parking companies and landowners being able to control the land that they're operating on. So, Dave, are you exaggerating what may happen in Scotland uh, to the benefit of your, your members? I, th- I think what we're saying is that, that parking does need to be managed. I mean, more and more people are using their cars now, and, and they need to, you know, to, to get around, to get to work, to, to do what they need to do. So I think we've seen a, a sharp increase in, in the, the number of cars on the road, and in um, following on from that, obviously more people want to park. So I think it does need to be managed, uh, and there are professional organisations out there that do that job. And they need the, the basic tools to be able to do that. So if it's consistent right across the board, then I think, you know, that's better for, for landowners, operators and, and the motorists. 
Dave Smith is Head of Public Affairs at the British Parking Association. Thank you very much indeed. John Wilkie, Head of Legal at the Private Parking Appeals, which is based in Glasgow. Uh, John, I would take it we, we just now have to, to wait and see which way it goes then. It is a degree of wait and see, but even if keeper liability is brought in, there are several ways, as the law stands in England and Wales, and as I'm sure the law stands in Scotland, that will still allow a keeper to say, actually, I don't have responsibility for this because you haven't got it right. And from that point of view, I don't think that uh, keeper liability is going to make a significant change in Scotland. There is another problem, of course, that keeper liability allows the parking company in England and Wales to sue the keeper for the contract that the driver has breached. But the legal process in Scotland, even the so-called simple procedure, is so much more complex than the money claim system in England and Wales that I think there's, there's not going to suddenly be a rash of Scottish cases where they're trying to su- uh, suggest that keeper liability applies. Interesting one that we'll watch then over the, the months ahead. John Wilkie, thank you very much indeed for joining us and to, to Dave Smith as well. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, phone lines are open as always, of course, as the various ways to get in contact. 033 Is it something that you've been caught up in? Is it something you think is a, is a good move that Murdo Fraser is trying to push through? Or indeed, is is it better the way it is in Scotland? 033 is the phone number. You can text your comments to 61054. Start your message with Ali. Email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and of course we're on Twitter. Hashtag Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking. The podcast. Talking about parking, got a few coming in here via um, social media as well. So if you've had and you've been maybe been overcharged or uh, found yourself with a ticket that you don't think you deserved. What, what's happened? Have you gone through? I remember a gentleman who had uh, parts in Perth and he was from Fife and we advised him that um, not to pay it. I'd, I'd like to find out how he had got on with that because he certainly had seemed to be penalised um, wrongly. But if you've been in that situation as well, let, let us know. O treble three twenty twenty. 401 talking parking at the moment. Here's uh, a comment in from Liz in Motherwell. Hello, Liz. Good morning to you. Uh, instead of fining drivers ridiculous amounts of money for overstaying in car parks, why can't we force car park owners to introduce pay and display in all areas? Because, of course, there's so many different types. And that, that that's uh, Jack. Thanks for that, Liz. Jack sends another comment here. He says, I'm currently going through this ask you to put in your registration number, which I did. I had a witness. You know, it was the first time I'd used it, but it, I put my registration number in. It said, you do not need to keep your parking ticket. It says, I didn't get one. There's nobody around. There's nothing you can do about it. It just didn't spout out a parking ticket. But I thought it was okay because I put in my registration number. They now... My fine is up to £160 and I refuse point blank because I paid it. I put the money in the machine. I paid for my parking. They've sent me a photograph saying, there you are leaving our car park and you didn't pay. Yes, I did, but they're not, they're not even answering my comments. When I say I put my registration in, they just send it back and say, here it is again. It's now up to £160. What do I do? Good point, Jack. Don't know the answer to that. And another one in here, Anonymous. Um, I stopped into uh, 
a, a coffee shop. I put my registration in and I've now got a parking ticket. The coffee shop have got me on CCTV. They've got me as my registration. But the company, the parking company are chasing me, a private one, are now saying they've liaised with the the company, not the coffee shop, but the um, parking company. And uh, they, they're still pushing forward with it. I'm not paying it. I put my money in. And that is the problem. They just don't seem to actually listen to you. That's what I was, I was saying to, the, uh, to Dave and John. They don't listen. Um, but your thoughts on this, this uh, loophole being closed, then then let us know. Love to hear from you. Uh, in a few moments, I'll also be asking um, what you think of the current standard of our politicians. All right. Uh, before I do that, let me just read another one that's coming in. Uh, I think Murdo Fraser should pack up like the rest of the Tories. Not got a clue. I do not think that will help the motorists at all. Just a rabble for money. The whole thing is all unreasonable, especially at shops if you're beyond your time shopping with them. Uh, no wonder. I, I, that's, I understand that. I know. It's, you know, you go over it, you would think the shops would be quite keen to keep you there. And then there are some uh, local councils, Angus councils, an example of them, where they put car parking charges on uh, where there were no car parking charges before. Uh, shopkeepers are now saying the the footfall has gone down. Surely that's that's understandable. Why can't those who are putting increased car parking charges up? It's, it's like the city where I live. I live in Dundee. There are lots of car parks that are lying empty all day. Bring the prices down and people will park the cars. You will then get more money as a council because more people will be using them. Surely it's common sense. I just don't get it sometimes. Obviously, I'm on a different wavelength to some of the councillors. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. I want to ask this question of you. Do you think in the UK we deserve a better standard of politician? Now, I'm talking not just about the UK government, but I'm talking about the Scottish government as well, and maybe even uh, our our local councillors. And I ask that question because... Just watching recently some of the debates that have been going out there with about Brexit and, and, and watching the um, party conferences, you know, I'm thinking to myself, surely the voters who vote for that particular party or who vote for that MP or MSP deserve a wee bit better. They've not exactly been covering themselves, have they, in glory when it comes to Brexit. There's still no sign of any of them coming to an agreement. Word this morning is that uh, the um, government's cabinet, some members are trying to convince the Prime Minister it's time she stood down and they're all jostling for position, you know, as to who's going to take over and who's going to, you know, starting strutting about now, you know, well, I better make sure that people know who I am if I'm going to stand for my Prime Minister. So they're all looking after themselves, really. That's, that's what comes out to me. Am I alone in this? I mean, take the Prime Minister's questions. Uh, it was the rowdiest on Thursday. Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn exchanging insults. Surely we deserve better than this. Mr Speaker, this is a national crisis. 
Will the Prime Minister meet me today to discuss our proposals as a way forward to get out of this crisis? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, it's a bit rich him standing up and inviting me to meet him when, when for days and days he refused to meet me. And when for days and days he refused to meet me, and he then refused to allow the Shadow Brexit Secretary to have a further meeting with the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. Listen to them all. You know, that's the lot that are governing us. And it's not much better than the Scottish Parliament where they start arguing with each other. Now, you might contrast that with the admiration for the way the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, has been leading her country since the terrorist attack against mosques in Christchurch nine days ago. Here's a clip of her in action in their parliament in Wellington, talking about her attitude towards the gunman. He will face the full force of the law in New Zealand. The families of the fallen will have justice. He sought many things from his act of terror, but one was notoriety. And that is why you will never hear me mention his name. He is a terrorist. He is a criminal. He is an extremist. But he will, when I speak, be nameless. And to others I implore you, speak the names of those who were lost, rather than the name of the man who took them. He may have sought notoriety, but we in New Zealand will give him nothing, not even his name. Yes, the person who committed these acts was not from here. He was not raised here. He did not find his ideology here. But that is not to say that those very same views do not live here. So, I ask that question again. Having listened to the Prime Minister's question time, them all rowdy with each other and, and arguing against each other. We've got local politicians in our councils who, who can't agree with each other on opposite sides of the, the room about budgets, and yet it's affecting all of us. I ask that question again. Do we in the UK deserve a better standard of politicians? Or is it just me that thinks I can do better than the lot that are there at the moment? What do you think? Come on. Let me know. Treble 3 2020 401 is the phone number. Or, of course, as always, you can text. The text number 61054. Uh, the start your message with Ali. But I'd like to get you on the phones. Now, take that. Just, just think of that. Do you think we deserve a better standard of politician who... Um, and I'm thinking of another one we'll come to in a moment where uh, the uh, Scottish Labour Party conference, uh, Richard Leonard was saying that we're all going to get free bus passes. Really? Who's going to pay for it, Mr. Leonard? Um, um, come back to me on that. And is there any chance of him ever being in power anyway? So, you know, just asking the question. What do you think? We're also talking about parking. Now, i got a gentleman who's called in, and I'll just call him Mr. Flanagan. Mr. Flanagan wants to remain reasonably anonymous, so that's okay. Good morning to you, sir. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Now, tell me on the parking situation where you stand. Well, I've been taken to court, as it stands, for £25,000. £25,000? Yeah, £25,000. So you're just ignoring the law, then? Well, it's not ignoring I don't see why I should be forced into paying something when, you know, it's, where it is, it's a, there's spaces there to get parked. So 
I don't see why I should be forced into saying it. Right, okay. Um, so what's happened then so far? I mean, we'll come back to the actual circumstances in a minute, but a ticket has gone through quite a few courts. Has it got to court yet? It's not actually been to court yet, but it is in the process of going through the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a few legal loopholes you can get through right. to get it. And um, one of them is we need to prove who the driver is. Um, photography, which in my case, there's nothing they can't prove who the driver is. So, you know, it's a fight <laughs> you can talk with. So are you one... <laughs> I'm going to watch what I'm saying. I don't want to insult you. I'm not meaning to insult you, but I'm just going to ask you. Are you one of these bloody-minded people that just think to yourself, I'm not paying it? Well, no, it's just in my case, my instinct to know where it is and what's happening. Right, is that, is that a particular place then? Is it the same place all the time? Yeah, it's the same place all the time, yeah. Alright, so it's not a case that you just park anywhere, anytime and don't put any money. You do pay for parking sometime? Yeah, it's paying display, you know, for council parking space, I'll pay it. Right, okay. So is this this one near your home or something? Yeah, it's at my house. It's at your house? Yeah. But it's not, it's not, you know, in my my, uh, it's where I stay. It's a, it's a housing association. And they're doing private parking, sort of thing. And they're putting private parking, yeah. I hate to be the bearer of bad news to you, but the, there was a case very similar to this with a lady in Dundee maybe last year. Uh, and yeah, her, I read about that one. Yeah, and she lost her case. And she had odd thousand pounds to pay. Have you got twenty five grand in the bank to hand over to them? <laughs> or will you, will you be offering to pay it at five or a week? Um, I won't go off something to pay anything <laughs> a week. <laughs> You're just um, digging your heels in. Yeah, it's because it actually the lady that was in Dundee, it's actually the same private parking firm. Ah, that, right, right, okay. So they're going to take it all the way? Well, they can try, but <laughs> there's not a chance. Have you taken legal advice or have you just continued? Yeah, get, yeah? yeah I've got legal advice on it. And, and, and the advice to you has been not to pay it, is it? Um, not to pay and just fight it all the way because, you know, the laws are different in Scotland that they are down in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because it's an English parking firm, um, you know, like they're trying to keep it going with their laws. But I think also, though, this private parking firm that you're talking about, if it is the same one which you say it is, uh, uh, that, that took that uh, lady to court in Dundee and, and won, they will be seeing that they won it once. A sheriff has said... That that had to be paid, so they're probably thinking that that you know they'll win this, and you're thinking you win it. So when when's it? It's all, you know, different. You know, it's tough cases, kind of different from mine. Right. Um, okay. I think because you more or less admitted that, whereas right. you know, <laughs> I'm not. Well, oh, that that's hanging over my head would um, <laughs> I think drive me into that room. Um, all right, well, do do let us know how you get on. I'd be interested yeah, in that. I'm sure there are many listeners as well would like to hear uh, what the outcome is. How far do you think you're down the line just now? When will it actually get resolved? Um, I'm not actually sure. Um, you know, as I say, it's still going through the process. It's just going on and on, and you just keep getting the letters. I just keep getting the letters. But any parting letters that I do get, you know, I just ignore them all, throw them in the bin, you know. Because I've actually been advised from the police as well to just ignore them. Right. 
and actual an employee from the private parking firm, he even advised me to ignore them and bin them as well. It's dreadful when you you know when you've you, as you say you're sitting in your house and yet you can't park outside it because somebody, i.e. the private parking company, are trying to make some money. Aye, uh, that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Um, Twenty-five thousand pounds in private parking firm fines that he's sitting with over his head at the moment. We will keep in touch with him and find out how that's going. Uh, this is Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Good morning. Uh, we're getting quite a few calls about uh, do we in the UK deserve a better standard of politicians? So we'll come to that in the next hour. And also in the next hour, we'll be looking at, um, we'll be t- chatting to Natalie, one of our journalists, um, and the Lead the Way campaign, where that's going. Uh, that's all coming up. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. I'm Ali Bally. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your call. We've had more calls on parking and lots of calls on do we think that uh, we deserve a better standard of politician. Still to come up, would you give up the car if we could all travel for free on the buses? And uh, we'll get to some of your calls as well regarding the other subjects, parking and politicians. But at the moment, we're joined by our senior reporter, Natalie Crawford. Good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself for yes, a Sunday? All yes, right. not too bad. Thank good, you very much. Good, good, Now, you joined us at the end of last year to discuss the latest developments in the Lead the Way campaign. Yes. Calling, And that was, just to remind everybody, it was calling for a review, uh, and pick me up if I'm wrong, but a review of Scotland's dog control laws. Yes, that's right. Right, and you discovered an increase in the number of attacks across the country every year. Yes. Now, that's moved on. Uh, that review was launched by the Scottish Parliament's post-legislative and uh, public scrutiny. I know, it's quite, it's quite a mouthful. Isn't it? Hey, it's huh? quite a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. So what's happening then? Um, so as you touched upon, we launched this campaign to have this review um, carried out by the Scottish Parliament and the Public Scrutiny Committee has taken that on board. Um, last month, they had the first... So there was a... A written, a call for written evidence, and then there was a call for oral evidence. So mm-hmm. I was called up last month to to go along to the Scottish Parliament and speak about lead the way and everything that we've found. Also, there were parents of children who had been attacked by dogs. One family, a uh, one case that you might remember, Ali, is Veronica Lynch, the mum of, of Kelly, who was mauled mm-hmm. and killed by two dogs in Dundee in the eighties. Yep. She was there to give evidence along with some of the case studies that we've flagged up to the Scottish Parliament. Also there was representatives from the likes of the Communications Workers Union, uh, the National Union for Wardens, the Scottish SPCA. And we all basically put forward our points in our cases on why we think Scotland's dog control laws need to be tightened up. So that was four weeks ago. On Thursday, it was the turn of the Scottish Government to give their evidence. So Ash Denham, who is the Minister for Community Safety, she was called up to kind of put forward her point of view and kind of tell the committee anything that the Scottish Government might already be doing um, to, to tighten up the dog control laws. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And what we're hoping is that going forward, 
within the next couple of months, this committee will gather up all this evidence and put forward some real kind of mean, meaningful recommendations on how the legislation can be right. can be tightened. Right. So, first of all, just just let me go back a wee bit there. Mm-hmm. When you were summoned, I suppose, to to appear, how did you feel about that? Actually. Um, personally quite mm-hmm. excited right. um obviously that this is something that i have poured poured a lot of time into um it's, this campaign's been going now for for more than 18 months sally so it it was really heartwarming for me particularly and especially for the parents of of that have come forward and, and shared their stories with me to be able to look at something tangible and say well the scottish parliament this post-legislative and public scrutiny committee are actually taking what we have to say seriously. Right, okay. Um, so it was it was nervous excitement. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. because it's, it's not every, uh, every day in a reporter's life that they get called to go to the Scottish Parliament, is it? No, it's not. And it's probably <laughs> the one and only opportunity I get to do that. So it was, it was absolutely, for, I mean, personally, um, it, it was an amazing opportunity, but a very, very important thing for me to go and do, because like I said, obviously, we've been doing this campaign now for, for more than 18 months and we have a, a wealth, a, a catalogue mm. of, of, of evidence that shows that le- these laws aren't aren't working. So really, really important for me to be able to go and, and share that with MSPs as well. Now, you mentioned that the latest of these committee meetings was on Thursday. What happened? So, um, Community Safety Minister Ash Denham, along with the, the former speaker, um, was Christine Graham. She first introduced the Control of Dogs Act in, in 2010. They were both called to give evidence to the committee in a similar way as I was four weeks ago. Um, the really interesting part of the, this particular evidence session was Ash Denham's evidence because she, when she first started speaking, had a number of inaccuracies in what she was telling MSPs. For example, first of all, she said that we had no real idea of how bad the control of dogs issue was in Scotland because there wasn't any kind of tangible figures for them to kind of mark it to. And and she was corrected several times by the MSPs, including convener Jenny Mara, who had to say, actually, there is Mm -hmm. figures here because we've had them presented to us four weeks ago by, you know, the Lead the Way campaign and and the parents who were here in the Scottish SPCA. And... the whole kind of tone of, of the evidence session kind of went along that vein. The MSPs really weren't particularly enamoured with the things that, that Ash Denham was saying. So I'll give you a kind of flavour of that to start with. This is Alec Neal, MSP, who's a member of the committee, um, questioning Ash Denham about some of the things that she she's seen in her evidence. Why, since this legislation has been law for nine years, and the Scottish Government still has not implemented the national, set up the national database? I mean, I hear what you're saying about um, going out to consultation this year. Why on earth has it taken nine years to get to a consultation on it? Well, the 2010 Act obviously did uh, provide a discretionary power for the database to be established. But actually, um, the database wasn't envisaged as being in place right from the outset of the dog control 
uh, notice regime. But I do accept the point that obviously um, quite a few years have passed now. Minister, you're saying it would only apply to a small number of people. That, that's in relation to people moving between local authorities. But the national ba database is actually to set up much more. I mean, you probably, I take it you heard Christine Graham's evidence uh, earlier. And one of the points she was making is this is not just about recording the microchip number. It should be also about recording the number of DCNs, the number of written and oral warnings, etc., etc., etc. And it does seem, and you're a new minister, so I'm not in any way blaming you, but it does seem the total lack of leadership and indeed complacency in the part of the Justice Department over this problem. So some strong words there from Alec Neal, MSP. That, that discussion was around a, a national database for dogs, which is something that currently doesn't exist. Ash Denham came to the committee and said that she was planning on launching a consultation on that this year. And MSPs really felt like, well, you've had nine years to mm. do this, so why are you only just doing it now? And to be fair to Ash Denham, she did say this as a very serious issue. And she actually wasn't in that position when we first launched the Lead the Way campaign. Um, she, she's only new to the role, I think, maybe about four or five months. And do you think with the evidence that she was giving and speaking uh, to the committee like this, that her um, her new role was shining through in the fact that she'd never really been put under pressure like this before? Quite possibly. I feel... And, and, and this is um, my, my personal opinion. I did sit and watch this evidence session for two hours that she had hoped that when she came to this committee and said, you know, we're going to launch this consultation into a national d database, that, that the hope might have been that that may have pacified MSPs mm -hmm. to a certain extent. She got that bit wrong. Um, it, but it does sound like she's planning on taking some action, though. It does, yes, and it is really positive. So basically, this national database um, would... The, the situation is at the moment that if a dog is issued with a dog control notice, there isn't really any real record of that. So that dog could move local authority area and it would no longer be an enforcement. So one of the things that we have been looking at, and it's just one of many ways that the, the dog control laws could be tightened up, is the formation of this national database, which would mean if a dog moves local authority area, there's some sort of notice to the new local authority that that, that dog is, is moving into their area and it has to be kept an eye on by the dog wardens. It would also mean if a dog changed owner, if it changed hands, that the, the dog control notices followed it. So that that is something that we're, we're looking at across the campaign. Mm -hmm. But it's just one of many things that needs to change. Because if they're, they're going to establish a national database, they need dog wardens to enforce it. And of course, what our Lead the Way campaign have, has found is that there's not um, dog wardens that are trained in the dog control laws in every local authority area. And in fact, it's a bit of a postcode lottery. It really depends on what local authority area you live in, whether or not the dog control laws are enforced in the way that they, they should be. So Ash Denham, I mean, she was, she was given a really, really hard time um, during the course of the committee. Another example of that is she was questioned by, by Liam Kerr, who, who kind of followed on this theme that Alec Neal started of, you know, complacency and a, and a lack of, of leadership on behalf of the Scottish Government. We don't even have a clear picture, in fact, of how many dogs 
um, there are in Scotland. So one estimate that we have um, from the pet food manufacturers is that there's around about 640, maybe 650,000 dogs in Scotland. And clearly introducing a licensing scheme um, of that size uh, would probably be quite a complex process. Um, so I think in that case, there are a number of issues that would obviously need to be looked at in that area. There's quite a few things to consider. Um, the other thing I think... On that, just if I might take that point, uh, because just following on from the line that Alex Neil was taking there, the, the way you answered that rather suggested to me that the Scottish Government looked at it and said, we've no idea how many dogs are out there, therefore we've no idea how much it would cost, therefore the easiest thing to do would just be to kind of bury it and not, not do anything about it. So there you go. Mm. Do you know, it, it, she really was given quite quite a hard time. Um, some of it justified, though, I have to say, as I, as I touched upon before, a number of inaccuracies in her evidence. You know, we've no clear picture of how bad this is. She was actually interrupted by the, the committee convener, Jenny Mara, who said, no, we do, because we've have had evidence of this presented to us four weeks ago. Now, you've sat here and told us that you've been keeping a close eye on that evidence but if you had been keeping a close eye on that evidence, you would have known that. Right. So how, how long, do we know how long Ash Denham has been in that post? About five months. Right, right. So, because it did seem, and, and you know, following the reports that you've been putting this week on, it did, and things that I've read, it did seem that she's she wasn't on top of her brief and <laughs> that was the wrong the wrong day not to be on top of her brief. But where does it all go from here then? Well, what we're hoping is, is, as I touched upon at the top of the, the show, we're hoping that within the next couple of weeks, the committee are going to put forward some real meaningful recommendations on, on tightening up this Control of Dogs Act. And this evidence session with Ash Denham, it was very significant for the campaign because it was the first time we got a real sense of what the committee was thinking. It was the first time we got a real sense of of where their head's at in terms of, of changing the law and They've they've levelled some pretty heavy accusations against the Scottish government. MSPs of of the Scot of the Scottish government have lef levied pretty heavy accusations against their own mm -hmm. party. You know, a lack of leadership, complacency, not taking this seriously, not understanding the the weight of of the facts here. Um, so it, it it was very very significant, and I'm really hoping that that this is a sign of things to come. It sort of takes me back to one of the other questions I've been asking this morning, which we've been getting uh, lots of calls on. Uh, do we deserve a better standard of politician? I shall leave it for our listeners to, to respond to that. Uh, senior reporter Natalie Crawford, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Scotland's Talking Today and bringing us up to date. And I'm sure you'll keep us posted on what else is happening over the next few months. Definitely, Ali. Thank you thank so you much very for much having indeed. me. Thank you. Thanks. So there we are, Natalie Crawford. Thanks to, to, to Natalie for that. Uh, if you'd like to comment, as always, the number is 033 401. This is Scotland's Talk and it's 21 minutes after 11. Uh, lots of comments coming in about the various subjects we've been talking about. We'll get to some of your calls in a few moments. And also ask you, would you give up the car if we could travel for free on the buses? This is Scotland's Talking. Good morning. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Betty. Good morning, how are you? Morning, Ali, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good, uh, yes, good. Now, what do you want to talk about? I, I would like to talk about the idea that these politicians come up with these ideas 
for various bits of legislation. They get them through, but they are very seldom policed properly. An example is with, with dogs is the business of the clamp down they had on the band's breeds. Now, we should not be having any pit bulls or pit bull types still going round. But the fact was that when people were found years ago with pit bulls, um, they weren't forced to neuter them. Um, so, of course, what happened was some of the people who had them just kept breeding them. So to this day and age, after 20-odd years, we have still got pit bull types, which shouldn't be when the legislation was brought in that said that wasn't to happen. But again, it comes back to, um, and, and you're right, there, there are other instances, and the one I keep going on about is um, that if we were to have this 20 miles per hour, I know it's a totally different subject, but if we were to have 20 miles per hour within towns, as they're ta- many campaigners were, are talking about, that's what they would like, there's really no one to police it because the police just do not have the manpower to do that. And and therefore, who would be who would you see would be responsible for policing this piece of legislation that you're talking about? I I, I honestly don't know because the councils don't don't have the resources mm-hmm. um, for for dog wardens to to police this. Um, I, I think that a lot of the, the trouble is is when uh, people are charged not being in control of a dog, is that some of the sentences that are handed out are just not fit for the crime. Um, I mean, an, an example would be somebody who's banned for keeping a dog for, say, two, five years. That That doesn't apply to their partner, so they can still be living in a house with a dog that they are possibly still responsible for. Right, I, I see what you're saying. So it, maybe it should be the house that's banned. Exactly, yeah. The, 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 they shouldn't be allowed... They, they should also be banned from being part of a household where there is a dog. Right. Or, you know, the, the relevant animal. But also, Ali, years ago, we I was part of an action group against the puppy farmers... Now, we invited two of the MSPs to one of our meetings and they they spoke about the transportation of these puppies and they said they they were working to get this sorted out, which eventually did. But I asked the question, with the Breeding of Dogs Act here, why they couldn't, with the strike of a pen, delete the, the part that says that people are permitted to rear puppies, which means that they they don't have to breed them. And I was told by one of the MSPs who is involved in this campaign, oh, we'll we'll deal with that later. Ali, this has never been dealt with. Right, so later has come and gone. Yes, yes. The puppies are still flooding in from Ireland and other places. And some of them in sad states when you see them as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. And also... What's even more worrying about some of the puppies, especially coming from the Eastern European country, I mean, I've, I, I have Dobermans, and in particular with that breed, we are most concerned about the Dobermans that are coming in because the Dobermans on, from these countries 
are have have different temperaments to what we're used to with Dobermans, and these these are are being allowed, being sold on websites where you have no trace mm-hmm. of first of all who is selling them because they actually um, don't have landline numbers; they have mobile numbers. So if anything and goes wrong, you've no chance of tracking them exactly, back. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. All, all, all they're interested in, and I mean, there's lots of breeders in the UK as well, all they are interested in is making money. Indeed. Mary, thank you very much indeed for your comments on that. Um, and we'll be hearing more about Lead the Way campaign as it develops and, and as Natalie says, as it goes through the various um, uh, channels and into to committees at the Scottish Parliament. Mary, thank you for your comments. And if you've got one that you want to make on, on the dogs, uh, then give us a call. Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Another question totally. Would you give up the car? if you could all travel for free on the buses. This last week, the Scottish Parliament's been looking at how to reverse the long-term decline in passenger numbers, with Labour putting forward the idea of giving under-25s bus passes just like pensioners. One day, Labour would like to make it free to ride for everyone. Would that be a good idea? Would it get you on board? I mean, if if you here's a, an example, if you have reached the age uh, that you get your bus pass, have you used it? Is it something that you use regularly, um, and do you think it's a, a great boon, um, or indeed does it sit in your top pocket and you use the car anyway? Would you get on board and drop the car? Transport spokesman spokesman Colin Smythe has been discussing this with our political correspondent. Alan Smith. Free bus travel for the over 60s is, is one of Labour's greatest achievements. It's helped tackle isolation, it's created opportunities, and it's helped fight pensioner poverty. And what we want to do is to open up those opportunities to more young people, because they're the ones that are, that are most excluded from bus travel at the moment. Prices have gone up, but the number of buses available has actually gone down, and a lot of young people are on low income. So we want to give them the opportunity to get to work, to get to education, by extending free bus travel to those under the age of 25 and that will help save many of our bus routes that are currently being axed. Uh, do you think there is a, a problem at the moment then that, that bus travel is becoming unaffordable for youngsters? What we've seen is that number of bus passenger journeys have actually plummeted by 20% since the SNP came to, to power. And at the same time, we've seen bus fares rise by 17% over and above inflation. So it's becoming unaffordable for lots of people, particularly young people who are often on low income. So this will give them an opportunity to get to work, to get to education. But crucially, if we're able to encourage young people to, to start to use buses at, a, at an early age, then that'll allow them to continue to use buses later in life and we'll be able to, to retain our bus network, which is frankly being dismantled route by route under this government. What about the cost of, of putting something like this in place? I mean, where, where, how do you pay for something like this? Well, the reality is that we've set up initial figures as a result of advice from the Scottish Parliament's Independent Information Centre that, that puts the figure at, at round about £13 million to extend it for those aged 16 to 25 and a further £13 million, and that's a high-level figure for those under the age of 16. So I believe it's affordable within a government budget that, that frankly is about £45 billion. The government are already committed to extending it to modern apprenticeships but we want them to go further and give free bus travel to young people. We believe it's a good investment for the future Scotland. So, would it be a good idea? Uh, would you get on board with it? 
Labour Transport spokesman Colin Smythe speaking there to our uh, political correspondent Alan Smith. Your thoughts, please. On 033-2020-401, you can text 61054, start your message with Ali, email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and, of course, we're on hashtag as well on, on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. Uh, Moira, hello, how are you this morning? Hello. I'm OK. Good, good, good. Now, you want to talk about dogs? Dog yes. control, right. What's your thoughts? Oh, dear. Where do we start? Right, I had an incident with a dog in the South Inch in 2016. Right. In Perth. I don't know if you should be talking about this on a public media. I don't know. But I'm at the end of my tether anyway. But anyway... Is it... She, can I just stop you there, Moira? Is it an ongoing court case? No. Right, OK. Tell us the story. It was, but it's not. Now, it's, it would have been some duracy if it had been, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, no, my dog attacked, well, she didn't attack it, I had her on a lead. She was, it was fear. This dog ran past her, she turned round and caught the dog to its injury. Hello? Yeah, we're listening, on you go. Anyway, I got a fright and I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a mobile with me. And so I walked away because there was a bloke running towards me. And I know for a fact he would have given me a, a tanking. So I just walked away rather than get involved, if you know what I mean. So your dog injured another dog and you walked away? It was a dog-on-dog attack because there was a chap coming after me. And I just didn't know what to do. Right. Anyway, I went, I went home and that and... The lady got in touch. I had actually insurance at that time. I could have paid for the vet's bills or whatever anyway. But after that, the dog, aye, the dog wardens appeared the following day up at my place of work. Now, I work on a busy road with children. And they came up and gave me what for in front of parents. Now, I didn't think that was right at all in the course of my work. And they could have found out where I stayed because I was at... Uh, I was working for the council at the time. Right, OK. So let's get to the point of why you called. Well, I called... Go on about changes in the dog laws, right? Right. My dog has had a muzzling order on for three years. But in that time, I have got her... She was a sheepdog. So I got her socialised because she had been on a farm and maybe hadn't been used to dogs. But anyway, I pay a dog walker who has trained my dog very well mm-hmm. to socialise with other dogs. And she now doesn't present any risk to public or anything else. It's cost me a fortune. I have even been to a chap. There's a programme on the telly, the dog with for her. There's a chap called Caesar Milan, and there's a chap down in Fife has assessed her. He's a, a, an actual right, dog. Right, so they, they're, yeah, but they're all saying, you're saying that they're all saying the dog's okay now? Yes, and it's ridiculous. What's ridiculous? You still haven't got to the point. I still haven't a clue what you're talking about. It's ridiculous that uh, they wouldn't lift the muzzle order. Right, so it's... That's revoked. 
Right. Have you tried I've, to get it? You, you've tried, obviously. Yeah, I have tried and tried, and it's like hitting your head against a brick wall. To say that the dog laws are too soft, no. I don't think they are. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Moira, for that. Um, anybody give Moira a piece of advice there, if that's uh, a muzzling uh, order that's been on for three years, she thinks, and others thinks, that it should be off. So is there a way to get that to that situation? Uh, get in touch, let us know. Tom, good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is about parking and uh, politicians. Oh, two, uh, in the, two for the price of one. Two for the price of one, would you believe it? Right. Now, um, parking, about five years ago when my uh, dear old mother was still alive and she had a disabled uh, disc uh, which allowed her to go to closer to the shops, um, and we used it very regular. Uh, on one occasion, I was uh, in Dunfermline and mum wanted to go to Marks and Spencer, so we parked on the high street and went into Marques, came out, and lo and behold, we had a ticket. And uh, I, it just so happened that Willie Rennie was there with his wee table uh, taking questions and all the rest of it. And uh, I said to Willie, I said, oh, look, look at my car. I said, I've got a ticket on it. He said, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? I said, what do you mean? Well, what what do you, you mean, s- Willie? Is- come on, eh? come on, Tom. What did you expect Willie to do? Pay for oh, your well, ticket? Well, that's a... That's the point. No, uh, Willie's a politician, and he promised that he would look into it, and they were going to try hard to get the rules changed that disabled people can come into the high street, not on certain times, but at all times, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing happened. Uh, It was on your program about a year ago, and I said, now, Willie, I said, you might remember me. I remember you, said he to me. Of course he does. And I said... Of course he does. <laughs> think, You're kidding yourself, you Tom. How far have you got with the parking thing, uh, uh, Willie? And he said, oh, we're still looking into that. How long? <laughs> How, yes. Um, I, I, it's politicians, their answer to, to everything is ban the car and, and don't, you don't allow cars into high streets. Um, and then, know, then they ask the question, why are nobody going near the high streets? Why is nobody just, going near the high just street? Just logic. Yeah. I just don't know why nobody else gets it. You anyway, take the I cars away. I bring you, that up. Right. So politicians, oh, okay, that- you, politicians, come on, what's your thought here? Do, do we get the politicians we deserve in this country? Well, I think we do in Scotland, that's for sure. Um, uh, The only thing is, uh, I think a lot of them are uh, missing a backbone in that, you know, they're allowing Westminster uh, to drag us out of this European uh, thing. Um, I think it's better to be together, as they said the last time at the referendum. Let's be together. Uh, we, we're stronger together. So I'm sure Scotland would be stronger together in Europe. OK, Tom, thank you. OK, let's go to Josephine then. Josephine, good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Ali, the quick, first quick one is, n- nine years ago, eh, sorry, seven years ago, my grandson was mauled with a dog. And that is a very handsome laddie, now 16, and by God, these scars are there for life. Mm-hmm. I wrote to everybody I could write to MPs and everything. I got a reporter from the evening news to come out and everything and see the Baron's face. I did everything I could, Ali. However, what I really phoned about was the Brexit. 
I think Theresa May needs cross-party support. But I'm telling you now, Ali, you've got to respect the wishes of the people, regardless of how you voted. You've got to respect that. And if they put us back to another vote, Ali, I'll vote in the local elections, but I'll never vote for MD again. Mm. And I never thought I'd hear myself saying that. It's interesting you're saying she needs cross-party support. She she doesn't seem to have support within her own party. That's a problem. And I don't want to read the paper comments with David Bloody Cameron and Tony Blair, Gordon Brown. I don't want to know what they've got to say because they men are relevant. OK, Josephine, thank you very much indeed. They are irrelevant, according to her. All right, so let's go to Brett. Hello, Brett. Good morning. Good morning uh, to you. Very- Thank you. Very quickly, the, the, the walk in London yesterday, mm-hmm. this was all about uh, a second referendum. Now, that's totally undemocratic. Can somebody not tell these people we've had a democratic vote? Why are they not sticking to it? I voted to remain, but I'm sticking with a democratic vote. So, and where was the, where was the invisible man? Corbyn disappeared again. Then quickly on to, uh, you'll be well versed in this, I'm sure, but for your listeners, a few months back in Paris, when the Yellow Vest started their legal and peaceful protests, there wasn't any trouble, and then all of a sudden, the right-wing fascists took over, and there was chaos, there was riots, there was defacing public monuments, and President Macron made a televised statement, and his statement was, nationalists are fascists, and fascists are the enemy of democracy. Now, we need to look no further in Scotland than the SNP to see exactly what he was talking about. But Theresa May, if she gets booted out, irrespective of who comes in, you can only bring in a Remainer or a Brexiteer. Mm-hmm. So we're back to the same position that the, the MPs have got right now. Well, and this is all, this Brexit is all, it's nothing about the people in Great Britain. This is about the Tory party, not splitting the Tory party. That's all it is about. And it's managed to do that. It's split them Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, Brett, thank you very much indeed. Running out of time, so I'll uh, stop you there. I want to get Margaret in. Hello, Margaret. Hi, hello. Hello there. Your point today, please? Well, politicians in general, I think the Democratic vote is gone. I mean, they're all arguing with each other. They all voted for this referendum to be held and why they would vote for it if they say it's bad for the country I've no idea Well people th- voted for it didn't they? The, the, yes yes yeah. but they asked for the vote they Westminster asked for the vote that's what I mean Well David Cameron decided on the vote to try and sort out the Conservative Party who were arguing against it and Yes um, and Labour and them all they all voted for it they all agreed we should have it Right. And now they're telling us it's so bad for the country. So what would you do right now if you were Theresa May, apart from resign and go <laughs> pour, your, pour yourself a gin and tonic? If I'd been Theresa May, I'd have resigned a long time ago. <laughs> but where do you think the country should go now? What should be happening tomorrow? Well, that I have no idea, to be honest with mm. you. 
And it's I think, an absolute mess. And I think you, along with many of the politicians, have no idea either. Thank you yeah. very much indeed, Margaret. Thank you. So we've been asking various questions today. Busy, busy calls and uh, your, your comments as well. Lots of comments coming in on social media and also, um, well, social media in general. Lots of calls as well about the various subjects we've been talking about. And we've been talking about um, politicians. Do we deserve better politicians? We've been talking about dogs. We've been talking about parking and taking your calls as Kieran. He's uh, looking at some of the social media ones here. So let's just take some that I've got and some that you've got, Kieran. Here's one from me. Um, dogs are very well controlled and there are very strict laws concerning dogs in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah, but we're here, Irene. Anyway, uh, no dogs are allowed into the city with the exception of guide dogs. You never see any dog mess, unlike here in Scotland, which is a shocking state. Uh, Perth, so she's comparing Scotland. Uh, I got it now. Right, Irene, thank you for that. Kieran, what have you got? Well, this one comes from Maureen Brennan. It's about the parking situation. She, sa- she says, I hate these private car parks. I got hit with a £150 fine and I had to replace my tyre after using one of these car parks due to the bad conditions. That is the problem, and even the ones that you pay. I, I was in a, a shopping one the other week there, and you had to start to get to the machine. You know, you had to get a ticket. It was mm-hmm. the first two hours free. I got caught once, and only once. I forgot well, to put a ticket on. I've also been caught at a shopping um, centre with where I was parking for uni, mm-hmm. and you're only allowed a three-hour stay, and there's no parking at the university. So really, where am I supposed, to go? supposed to go? Exactly. Right. Okay, here's one that comes in and it says, Ali, if all the politicians had to live in the real world, they wouldn't last five minutes. I don't agree with that. Um, But it's your opinion. That's what it's about. Uh, They're like overgrown, spoiled school kids with no real concern for the people they're overpaid to represent. So much so that I've stopped voting, which is an insult to Emily Pankhurst who fought so hard for we women to get the votes. Yes, and, and... who you, you know, yeah, okay, that's, as I say, that's that's your decision. Um, Ali, all MPs and even councillors uh, have got in to make a difference. The only thing is once they get in, they seem to lose that, um, that point that they went in for in the first place. And I've got this one about the free bus passes. They said, the bus service in my town is so poor that my 70-year-old dad is usually quicker walking to Glasgow than me taking the bus. So, no, I will not be using the bus. That's right. Uh, Duncan says, I don't think the under-25s should be given the free bus pass. Labour haven't got a clue how they would pay for it and haven't a scooby-doo how would the bus companies pay for their fuel plus their staff as well. Well, I presume that the uh, the whole idea of is that it would come from the Scottish government. Uh, there's one in from Louise says, uh, who's going to pay for all those free bus passes? Thank you for that and uh, many more as well. Liz says, totally agree with what Mary had to say about the puppies. The cruel way those puppies have been reared is just not on and the people involved should be severely dealt with. And I've got one final one here on the parking again. Um, There are more important things going on in the world rather than lining the pockets of these parking companies. Right, well that brings it to an end just looking at the clock, it has beat us today, been a very busy one, thank you very much indeed for all your calls, your texts getting in touch via social media 